Northview. This morning, we're kicking it off with a song that is basically a prayer. I know there's a lot of disagreements going on in our world, right? But if we could all agree on one thing, I think we could agree that we could all use a little more God and his spirit in our midst. So that's how we're kicking it off. We're just inviting the spirit of the Lord into our lives in every way. So we invite you to pray this song with us.
So as I've been in prayer lately, as I pray for our church, I pray for our nation, our world, there's so much going on, right? And as I just meditate and I continue to pray, the scripture that God continues to bring me back to over and over again is one found in 2 Chronicles 7. And here the Lord is actually speaking to a King Solomon. But I think these words are so relevant for right now. And it says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. But church, it starts with us.
we thank you so much that we have an opportunity to join in spirit, to bless your name, and to also bring forward our sins, to lay it before you, Lord, and seek your forgiveness. We thank you so much for your sacrifice and, the, and for the salvation that you offer through your son. I ask that you put a call upon each of our hearts, a call that we would turn to you over and over again. And Lord, embolden us to then share that hope that comes only from you, the Christ, the Savior. May we share that beautiful treasure with the world. We offer all of this up to you and for your glory. And everybody at home this morning says... Well, good morning, Norfolk. Glad to have you back with us, and thanks for tuning in and joining us. Uh, as you've heard, there's some pretty exciting things that have been happening, and I want to just bring you briefly up to date. The first exciting thing that we want to tell you is uh, the Move the Mountain uh, campaign is now $15,000 to the positive. So we went from 2300 when it last announced it, to 15000 So that's just crazy good, and we're super excited about that. And then uh, today, as you can tell, is Communion Sunday, so we want to make sure you're ready for that at the end of the service. Uh, and it falls in an incredibly beautiful place in our psalm series. For today, we're going to be talking about God's steadfast love. The Hebrew word for that is hesed, which means faithful or, <coughs> or steadfast love. Uh, in other places, in some Bibles, it's translated mercy. All of those uh, mesh together really well. And it'll just be a beautiful place to dovetail right into communion. So look forward to that. And then three, as you've heard, uh, we're looking to reopen services here at Norfolk on Sunday, uh, July 26. Keep your eyes and ears posted for the announcements um, as we head towards that date. And just a couple things, uh, right? It's going to be different and we'll have to get used to it. So we ask that you uh, work with us on that. And we're going to need some volunteers to greet, right? Mask, of course and to sanitize between services. So if you would have an interest in doing that, please email us at the front desk uh, at envy, or I'm sorry, front desk at nview.org. All right, there we go. Well, let's, as we go into the message, let's just do a, a brief review of where we've been. We've looked at what the Psalms have had to say about God being all-powerful. And we've also looked at what the Psalms had to say about God being all-good. And then from there, we looked at his law. We said that his law is good because God is good. His law comes from him, and so it's good. And then last week, we looked at that he is holy, which is another step past just goodness uh, and is the otherness uh, side of God. And so we have an all-holy God who is all-powerful and all-good, and he rules and judges the universe. And I might add this planet, by the laws, the precepts, the testimonies, and the decrees he set forth. And you say, well, what are all those? Like, what's a testimony? Well, the testimony is what he's done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven. That is God's testimony. It's a witness of what he's done with and through Jesus. And so that's where, that's where we've gone. But this isn't the whole picture because any definition of God by nature has to include the idea of love. Love is an idea that uh, we take for granted. We've actually kind of hijacked it and stolen, 
stolen it from God and kind of appropriate it for our own use, kind of like as if we invented it. We forget, for example, if you take just one aspect of how we do this, that marriage is God's idea. And, and we make it all about us and how we want to change it. And uh, watch how this works. When a young couple comes into my office for pre-marriage counseling, one of the first questions I ask them is, what is God's dream? Tell me what you think God's dream for your marriage is. And, and they'll hem and haw, but eventually they'll say things like, to have children or to raise a godly family, or to enjoy each other. But ultimately, the response will boil down to to be happy. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that list, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the desire to be happy. But that is not God's goal for our marriages. God's goal for our marriages is holiness, not happiness. And it really matters where you, what target you aim at. Just look at how This shift is built into our national DNA. What are our unalienable rights, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of, that's right, happiness. How different do you think our country would be if it was worded life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness? A little different target, right? And that's important. Why is it important? Because any true definition of love has to do with holiness, Love cannot be complete if it isn't holy. As a matter of fact, we can't define love apart from God's holiness. And here's where we get in trouble. We forget this. We think we can create it ourselves, that it comes from us. But scripture tells us it doesn't. Listen to all our love songs about how you complete me, your love saved me, you're my whole world, and as the Beatles most famously sang, all you need is love. Right? Psalm 62 gives an absolutely brilliantly succinct summation of all that we've been talking about. And by the way, it is one of Kara Cecil's favorite quotes in the book of Psalms. It's found in verses 11 and 12, and it says this Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. What this psalm does is visually yoke God's power to his steadfast love. And we're going to look at that this morning. Let's pray this morning, and then we'll look further into the topic of God's steadfast love. Would you join me? Father in heaven, we seek you this morning as we look into something that's very precious to us, something that really matters. Love is a big topic. Many of us have searched for it all our life. Many of us have been greatly wounded or disappointing, disappointed in that pursuit. Many of us have lost hope in that pursuit. Uh, It has banged us and bunged us up a bit. And as we stand before you this morning, we recognize that we need to let you redefine it and we need to let you tell us what it is. And Lord, we also realize that it's linked to your holiness. And that's a little scary for us because we know we're flawed and we know we fall short. But this morning, may it roll out in such a way that it helps us be attracted to who you are as a person. And I seek you for that, Lord, that you would be freed up uh, to to reach out and to um, connect with people, maybe in ways that they haven't connected with you before. And so we seek you to be speaking this morning as I'm speaking, and we ask for your help and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. 
Well, of all the things that uh, have stood out to me this year, uh, again, I'm reading through the Bible again, as many of you are, and the phrase that has just caught my attention all through the Old Testament is God's steadfast love. I seem to see it everywhere, in every book of the Bible. It's like kind of God's identity bracelet. Now, of course, uh, as I said, I'm right at this point, uh, just finished the Old Testament. Now I'm moving into the New Testament. And you, like myself, have probably heard the lie. And here it is. I believe that God, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not the same God. You ever heard that? Ever had somebody throw that out there? I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Uh, he's mean. I, I like Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, the God of the New Testament is a God of love. The God um, of the New Testament is somebody that's approachable. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, then they will take this even farther. Uh, you, you probably heard this. Uh, my God is a God of love, right? Off of verses like this. My God is a God of love and he would never send anybody to hell. Uh, they seek to remove all possible judgment for any kind of sin and that God would never be that way because he's loving. And that's why they recoil at the descriptions of the Old Testament. But they've also, I would suggest, failed to read their New Testament. Listen to this description of Jesus in Revelation 19. It starts out like this in verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them, and look at this phrase, he will rule them what? With a rod of iron. Where have we seen that before? <clears throat> well, of course, we've seen that earlier in our study of the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 2, where it says, you will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. It says here he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread, and this is one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture. It says <clears throat> he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The God of the Old Testament to them is a hateful, jealous, warmongering, genocidal control freak. But like we saw with the New Testament, they miss something very important about God when they just write him off carte blanche like that. And the question is, what is it that they miss. And what they miss is his proclamations of his steadfast love. When God led Israel through the Red Sea, it says this in Exodus 15. It says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Probably the place where God's law and God's love come together most clearly is on Mount Sinai. Moses, uh, if you remember, went, got the Ten Commandments, came back down. You have the golden calf affair. He goes back up. And the second time up, 
He's asking God to go with them. He says, how will we be distinguished from any other people on the earth if you do not go with us? And then he asks something that's amazing from God. He's, he asks um, that God would reveal himself to Moses, and God says, you cannot see me and live, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. That's a very old, famous hymn. And all my glory will pass before you, and you will see my back as I pass. And so God is going to proclaim to Moses in this who he is. And this is really important. Um, In high school, junior high, right, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, stories going around about who you might be. And you want to be able to say, wait a minute, let me tell you my side of the story. This is God's description of himself. And it says that he is going to proclaim who he is. And when he does that, the question is, what does he say? How does God see himself? How does he define himself? Well, it says this in Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him, him would be Moses. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God's definition of his own character, if he has to state who he is as a person, is that he is a merciful and gracious person, that that is part of his personality, that he is slow to anger. Now, stop there for a second. This does not say he never gets angry. It says he's slow to angry. And again, one of the mistakes we make when reading through the Bible is factoring in the timelines, right, that uh, these episodes and stories occur. And often we forget Uh, that the events described are weeks or months or years apart, even if they're only a page or two apart in the Bible. Uh, So slow to anger. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm personally grateful for that characteristic of his in my own life. As we've seen earlier in this series, and and by the way, you can go on our website, uh, www.nview.org, or just Google Northview Community Church and get on our webpage, and you can download any of the other previous messages from this series if it strikes up your curiosity. But um, as we've seen earlier, God is a covenantal God, and he offers the opportunity to step into covenantal relationship with him. And in this passage, it highlights that God abounds. And the question is, abounds in what? Well, God abounds, in, it says, in steadfast love and faithfulness. It says he keeps steadfast love to thousands. And in the process, for those who are covered by his Hesed love, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Why or how? Because those who have these benefits have come into a covenantal relationship with him. We've seen this. We saw this with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? We went all the way through that line, Moses and um, uh, Joshua, and then into the promised land, all the way up to King David. In our New Testament language, we would say that they accepted God's offer of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. 
Now, they couldn't have done that because Jesus hadn't appeared yet, but he appeared as the angel of the Lord in the desert wanderings, and they knew they had to put their faith in him. They have submitted. The lesser yields to the greater, and they have come under his authority and his leadership. And because of that, they're covered. King David understood this on a deep level. And that's why many of the Psalms resonate um, with David extolling God's steadfast love. And that didn't mean that just because David was in covenant relationship with God, that everything went well for him. You know, the idea of, oh, if I just ask Jesus in my life, I won't have any problems anymore. Uh, Not true. Matter of fact, sometimes you may have more problems because of that. But that does not mean things are bad. Some of the greatest expressions of loyalty and trust come from David when he is in his worst circumstances. And in those circumstances, if you want to know why David is called a man after God's own heart, it's in those circumstances when most people bolt, when most people buckle, when most people turn their back on God, when most people get angry or bitter, David doesn't. He's counting on God's hesed, his steadfast love towards him. Uh, Let's use a few examples here. Psalm 57 is a great example. David is literally hiding in a cave from King Saul. And King Saul enters that cave without knowing that David is there to use the bathroom. All right, we usually laugh about that whole part and we think, man, that's pretty funny and David should have just done Saul in right there, you know. But what we forget is that Saul's army of 3,000 hand-picked men were also right outside the mouth of the cave. And David knew it, and he knew he was facing certain death. And it's in this setting that he writes this. Psalm 57 through 1 through 3 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me, and he will put to shame him who tramples on me. And then there's that little word again, Selah. Think, ponder this. And then this phrase, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He goes on to list all the threats and challenges that are facing him, and then he ends with this, verses 7 to 11. My heart is steadfast, there's that word, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. And I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. And I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That is an amazing, amazing expression from somebody who is facing the imminent danger of death. But in this, David was counting on and relying on God's hesed love, his steadfast love for him. And it wasn't just an idea. It was real life. David was counting on God keeping his word. And he trusted him to be the faithful God. This isn't the only instance of this occurring in the Psalms. 
Uh, let's take a look at Psalm 23, right? Many of us, that's one of our favorites, and uh, many of us have it memorized. Uh, but again, what we often miss is what's the setting of this psalm. Many Bible scholars feel that Psalm 23 was written when David had to flee Jerusalem because of the rebellion that was being led by his own son, Absalom. And if you read that story, they escape uh, by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. They just get out. They're able to twist some things, and they get out before Absalom takes over. And how, how does Psalm 23 read? Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word there at the end, translated here in Psalm 23 as mercy, is again our word hesed, God's steadfast or faithful love. David says, your love is going to follow me. If you know anything about that story, it was anything but a peaceful, idyllic, pastoral scene. It was chaos. It was uh, margins disappearing. It was uh, hustling out as fast as you could get. And yet David, when he spent time Thinking through with God, he came up with what is regarded as one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. And what David's trying to remind himself of is that God is always there, that he is always loyal, that God is steadfast. What he's trying to re-anchor on is that he is a loving father. Remember that God had adopted David, that God had said, I will be your father, and that David would be his son. It's not just the idea of a religion. It's not just the idea of a faith. It's a relationship, a, a covenant relationship that God had initiated. And David is saying that he could depend on that no matter what the circumstances were. And I can't think of a better word of encouragement for us in these days of uh, COVID-19 and protests, which include our very own CHOP up at Capitol Hill, uh, the political turmoil that's going on within our country, the job layoff, the racial injustice issues that we have to face, the unrest and more. We, like David, need to remind ourselves of God's unfailing loyalty and love towards us, his steadfast love, no matter what our circumstances are, be they good, be they bad that we need to lean on it, we need to anchor to it, that God is faithful is not just a catchy slogan. And I'd like to ask you uh, at this point, because uh, this will now move us towards communion, I'd like to ask you to get the elements for communion ready. Uh, just take a second here, right, in your home and make sure everybody's prepared and uh, thanks uh, for doing that and uh, sharing that together. Remember, we can't see each other having communion together, but God can, and he's watching, and we're connected by the Holy Spirit. So uh, 
We do it with reverence and we do it with awe. But as we head into communion, the picture becomes crystal clear as you move from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Hesed becomes agape. God's covenantal love, his steadfast love, is now highlighted, underlined, and illuminated as God's sacrificial, steadfast love. Jesus stands in our place and takes the hit for our sin that should have been our uh, penalty to pay. And because of his resurrection, he now extends salvation to all who will look to him, all who will call upon him, all who will surrender to him by by forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He now replicates and authenticates the message of God's steadfast love. And if you want to know what the God of the Old Testament is like, well then look at Jesus. For he is an exact representation of his nature. And Jesus himself takes the Seder meal, which is an Old Testament picture, and he turns it into something we now know as communion, and he uses it as an object lesson. We also, like King David, must rely on God's hesed love, his steadfast, faithful, unfailing love. Uh, That's called agape in the New Testament. And Jesus took these elements and he said, do you want to know my love for you? Do you want to know how steadfast I'll be? Do you want to know how much I care for you? He said, well, here's two pictures for you. This is the first one. This would be a symbol of my body. This was broken for you. I died in your place. I love you that much. Do you know anybody else who would love you that much? If you do, it's a rare exception. But I did this for everybody. He said, eat this in memory of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this cup is a symbol of my blood, which will be shed for what? The remission of your sins. In other words, he's going to wipe the slate clean. The Bible says he will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, that they will be remembered no more. That's a pretty amazing offer. He says, you want to know how much I love you? You want to wonder if I'll be there for you? You want to know if you can count on me? He said, this is how much it costs me. He said, drink this in memory of me. Would you uh, join me in prayer? Father, I want to pray right now that this is a sacred moment. I want to pray right now that you are reminding us, underlining how faithful you are, that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us, no circumstances catches you unaware, that you will protect us like you protected David, and that you will take us home with you all the way into eternity. And Lord, we will go through rough, difficult bitter things and we've got to allow not allow that to stain our souls there'll be someone this morning who just 
is holding on to something and they know they got to let it go. I want to pray right now in this moment they would do that. They would have in the mind a picture of a closed fist clenching, holding on to whether it's anger or rage or bitterness or offense or trial or whatever it might be. Disappointment with life. And they would just let you peel their fingers open and they would find themselves with an open hand letting it go. We know in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew in the Beatitudes it says, if anyone will forgive, then I will also forgive them. But if you don't forgive your brother's sins against you, then neither will I forgive you. Lord, help us be a releasing people, a forgiving people. May we be like you that way. And then Lord, this morning, in the midst of all that we have faced in 2020, may we re-anchor to your steadfast love. May we recalibrate our commitment and make you literally would be the love of our life. Lord, we seek you that we would be faithful and loyal to you as you have been faithful and loyal to us. And we know without the Holy Spirit, we have no way possible to do that. So we ask this morning that you would allow your Holy Spirit to make us into your image. And we seek you for that. We know that's a process. We know we'll fail. But may we have a heart like David. Uh, May we be a people uh, that has your own heart. And we ask for this in your name. And we pray everybody says, amen. Thanks, Steve. I hope you guys have had an awesome time of communion at home. We're going to end this morning with a new song. It's called The Blessing. Maybe some of you have heard it. It's been on my queue to do for a while, and I've been really excited to introduce it. So as we end, we are going to sing this blessing over you. So I invite you to just put your hands up and close your eyes and just receive this blessing. Or you can sing it over us or bring someone else to mind that you want to sing it over. But there's enough negativity and enough slandering going on in the world. I thought we would counterbalance that with a blessing. Lord.
All right, well, Esther and the team, thank you again. Really appreciate you leading. I know I say that every week, but I really appreciate it every week. So hope you do it at home as well. I know with our family, we have a wonderful time singing together, and uh, we really look forward to that. And uh, we've been doing questions, and uh, again, a lot of you have given input. So we're going to list out the questions here this morning off of the message, and uh, you can uh, spend some time together maybe even over lunch as a family talking through them. So here's the questions. First one, number one, have you ever wrestled with or been aware of the perception difference between the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament? Has that ever been a battle for you? Have you ever um, had pressure with that? So uh, just spend some time talking to each other. And if you have, what is it? All right. Number two, how would you answer someone who makes the statement, my God is a God of love and would never send anybody to hell? What would, what would your response be? Number three, hesed can be translated, as we said in the, in the message, as steadfast or faithful or mercy. What does this tell you about the kind of person God is? All right, and then number four, King David relied on God's hesed love for him in the toughest times of his life. 
How has that worked out for you? As you look over your life, how has that, have you found yourself being able to rely on him or have you found yourself ducking out? Number five, Hesed, Old Testament, becomes Agape, New Testament. Does this make you see Jesus any differently? And if so, how so? And then number six, kind of if you want to skip those and just kind of boil it right down to one, how could you rely on God's steadfast love for you this coming week? What would you have to think differently? What would you have to do differently to do that? How could you rely on God's hesed love for you this coming week? Then we have some, so there's the questions. Go ahead and have fun with that. And then we have some prayer points. Uh, Number one, let's continue to pray for wisdom and timing for Move the Mountain and Speeding Ahead the Gospel. Uh, Again, I cannot emphasize enough, we need to pray about this part as we're now moving in the plus side and going forward. We need to pray about that every bit as much as we did about getting out of the negative side of the loan uh, and going the other direction. So please, would you join us? Let's pray uh, for God's best and his will and timing of what that should look like in the next couple years. Number two, let's pray for Shannon. Uh, he, remember Shannon? Yeah, he's still around. And uh, he actually comes off a sabbatical today and reenters the ministry relational arena again. And we're excited about that. And we're hoping he is too. So, so pray for him. And uh, you, know, you know how that is to re-engage. So let's lift him and Lisa up uh, as he re-enters and be great to see him again. Then number three, let's pray for the Norfu team the staff here, as we get ready to reopen for services on Sunday the 26th. Uh, I have no concerns at all because I just know us as a church family. I know how we operate and I know how we work together. Uh, It will go off well, but we still need to do it, right? So would you pray that way? Number four, let's pray, uh, and I think this is a big one, let's pray for the healing of our country. Let's pray that God would do something extraordinary for the fame of his great name that millions would wake up to the reality of who Jesus really is and uh, would know him and uh, would find him and would be saved and be uh, rescued from the fate of hell. Lord, we seek you for that. May it be so. Number five, let's pray for wisdom uh, during these summer months. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I have noticed, man, people are bolting, right? They, they are done. They want out They want to go out and do stuff in the warmer weather, and social distancing is a nice idea. Um, I think we're going to have to be wise in the coming months ahead, and let's just pray that God would grant us that kind of wisdom. Then number six, let's pray for our country's leaders, right? I, I know we can find great fault with them, and it doesn't really matter which side of the mix you're on, right? We can do chop suey salad with all of them, but they, they need our prayers. They are grappling with things that are extraordinarily complex. And uh, they, they are facing things that uh, there are probably no more answers for than half the things we face. So, uh, you know, I, the scripture tells us to, let's do it. Let's, let's pray for our leaders and ask that God would give them his mind and their heart and that we could turn our country back towards righteousness and back towards doing the right thing. So there's your questions and there's your prayer points. Uh, Again, appreciate you engaging with those. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase.
Kingdom. 